0: Alright, hey everybody, this is Group Tech Talks, the podcast, and today we're going to be talking about legacy systems. Uh, my name is Garrett Viggers, one of the co-founders at Limelight Health. I have an amazing guest whom I'm going to introduce in a moment. Uh, and the title of this podcast is How to Navigate Digital Transformation in the Midst of Legacy Systems and Modern Cloud-Based Systems. Um, so, a quick highlight of the why behind Group Tech Talks, um, this podcast, and why we're doing it. Um, you know, really, we believe uh, that the group industry is the last vertical uh, of insurance for modernization, um, and we're crossing the bridge in some way. We're looking at the bridge, we're in the middle of the bridge, we're coming off the bridge of transformation in the group group space. Um, the podcast is really designed to encourage group carriers. So if you're in the C-suite, um, if you're an underwriter, actuary, product development, sales distribution, uh, new case install management, or renewal management, those are a lot of the topics we'll be Uh, discussing. Um, We also believe that it takes a village, uh, just like it takes a village to raise kids. I've got three teenagers. It takes a village uh, of the group ecosystem, we believe, to raise up the group industry. And again, we also are doing this podcast because we understand there's lots of complexities in the group space, specific group complexities, and technology needs to understand the complexities if they're going to solve them. Right. I think that's really important. We want to talk about um, a lot there Um, and also we're bringing on um, innovative guests uh, like who I have on today and we want to create an engaging space to talk about the challenges, roadblocks, the opportunities in the group space. And so again, we're really excited um, with this podcast. Um, So I am going to introduce first uh, Ray Law, who I've known for a few years. Um, I know, Ray, you've got an extensive background uh, in the group uh, insurance industry over 20 years, I'm roughly 10 uh, in the PNC individual commercial lines, and uh, I'm really excited to have you on. You have a lot of knowledge um, to talk about legacy systems from the carrier perspective, and so I'd love um, for you just to introduce yourself um, to the audience today.
1: Yeah, thanks, Garrett, and uh, appreciate the invite to be on here today and uh, just by way of brief background 30 plus years in insurance and technology and uh, some cio cto type roles for some of the major carriers uh, in our industry and just grateful for the opportunity to work on some really awesome and exciting challenges i've also had the opportunity to meet some awesome exciting people like you garrett (laughs) Um, so this is a pop quiz and depending upon how you answer uh, this uh, may go well or, or not. So the first pop quiz question is, so you mentioned uh, we've known each other about three years. So where did we meet? You can answer either the conference or the location.
0: I distinctly remember sitting down, I'll never forget it, sitting down on an airplane after a Limra group conference. I looked over to my right and there was Ray Law. And the rest is history. That, that, I don't know if that's that, if we met, talked before, them, but that was,
1: that's what I remember. All right. You got it. So this is going to go well now. <laughs> nice. But, uh, nice. Yeah, that was my first recollection, too. And it was a, uh, it was a fun flight. We chatted we a lot about the industry. And what I learned was that other people like yourself out there that um, are passionate about our industry. And, uh, and there's a lot of cool things going on.
0: Yeah. Yeah totally agree. Well, um, I'm really excited to have you on, uh, Ray. Um, For those that don't know me, you know, a bit of my background, uh, one of the four co-founders at Limelight Health. Um, I started as our chief product officer. So super passionate about product and innovation. And and I've kind of worked throughout the uh, our seven years at Limelight. And now I'm the VP of innovation and product evangelist. So I'm spending a lot of time uh, was on the road and now virtually uh, meeting with group carriers. And, uh, you know, fun fact, I, uh, I've almost spent 20 years, almost half of my life in the group industry. I'm 42 years old and, um, um, it's an exciting time, exciting 20 years in the group space. Started in consumer driven health and, uh, and then had a boutique uh, brokerage agency. And so I've learned a lot uh, along my path. And again, really excited. Another fun fact is I love music. If you didn't already know, and I may Break out the guitar here in a moment, um, just to reinforce this topic of, of le- legacy systems. Um, so, yeah, I will. Um, I've got notes here that we're gonna we're gonna jump into this. So, if we look at um, you know th- this topic of legacy systems, right? I was doing some research and you know looking uh, online, and one of the one of the descriptions around legacy systems was you know from a computing perspective. A legacy system is an old method, technology, computer system, or application program that's still in use. And you know, often referencing a system as legacy means that it paved the way for the standards that would follow it. And I love that description of you know the goal of the legacy system and for any of our systems is to pave the way for the future standards that will follow. Whatever that technology is. Now you see machine learning AI is is, is coming down the road. Um, and in, even here in some cases. So I love that description. I don't know, Ray, if you have any thoughts on you know that description of paving the way for the standards that would follow it.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think, and thanks for sharing that article, by the way, it was, yeah. it was fun read and it kind of a little bit of uh, down memory lane. So I, I think I've worked with every single one of those languages that are on there. And and um, I think your categorization is, is absolutely spot on. I mean, everything that was done has been foundational, and we've been building upon that. And, um, and 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 it's a lot of, you know, some of the some of the early on, um, you know, languages were, uh, you know, less restrictive in terms of, yep. you know, the coding standards. And as we've gone to more, you know, third, fourth generation languages, um, there's obviously more drag and drop. It's easier to use, quicker, speed the market, and things like that. So there's been a tremendous amount of ease of use. And, and obviously, um, you know, in terms of being able to have end user computing, right. And users yeah. being able to do some of the programming.
0: Yeah. The, um, the article, which you mentioned that I'd sent to you, it's a digital trends article by Neil Gladstone. We're going to include the the link for folks that want to want to look at it. I think, you know, a few things, um, you know, Fortran was one of these, you know, built in the fifties, right. So I was doing a little bit of research on Fortran Um, built by IBM in the fifties and uh, short for formula translation. And, you know, it was one of the first high level languages that used words instead of numbers. Like what a big innovation to use words instead of numbers. Um, And it made it possible, they say, for coders to write programs up to 500% faster than when using machine code. So I mean, just imagine the leap when Fortran came out of innovation to take this up to 500% faster I mean, that's just amazing to even think about. Um, I've got this this background Then I'll let you, if you have any stories on punch card, um, I've got a, a graphic here I'm going to put on my background. Um, okay, here's a, a Fortran statement with punch yep. card.
1: So, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I'm having a little bit of nightmares from there you go. seeing a punch card.
0: But you have to imagine it probably wasn't a nightmare back then, right? I mean, back then it was like, wow, um, you know, it was, it was, it was
1: it was good back then. Now we've got obviously a lot, lots happened. Yeah, Um, absolutely. You know, and when, when I um, got out of school, I I did a lot of C, Ada, a lot of the advanced languages. And one of the first jobs I got uh, was working for an insurance carrier up in Hartford, Connecticut. And it was cobalt maintenance um, on a uh, personal line system. And it was, whole ball punch cards and you had thousands and thousands of lines of code, which wow. means you had to punch these into these cards. And then you go to the data center <laughs> and then put these cards in what was called the hopper named after Admiral Grace Hopper. Yeah. And you would run the computer program that way. And you can just imagine today, although we don't have the punch cards, but the lines of code, the thousands and hundreds yeah. and thousands of lines of code, it's just incredible to maintain. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's, um, the, you know, the other one, I've got my other, here's my uh, here's my COBOL. This was a poster in 1969. All um, right. So
1: pop quiz number two, what yeah. does COBOL stand for?
0: Well, I, I got notes, man. So I, I won't, I don't know <laughs> if really should let, I, common business oriented <laughs> language
1: all right you got it
0: yes i didn't know that you know last week but I, I always knew of COBOL, but i didn't know what it stood for um and you know this was a poster in 1969 from an mit uh class mm-hmm. they were marketing for COBOL um, at mit um i like i like the design here it's actually pretty cool. cool um so you know basic and visual basic i mean that that's another one they talk about in the article and I've seen that a lot. I see that, you know, most I see is COBOL yeah. group carriers and, and, and basic. A lot of actuaries are working in basic and, you know, it's Excel macros. If you do is Excel, it's a form of, of basic. Um, so again, very grateful for Excel and and visual basic. I know Microsoft Inc launched it in 1991 is when they launched
1: uh visual basic um, to support that. Yeah. You know, what's program. startling and, and uh, I, I knew this, but I saw, I read it in the article you sent and, you know, VB, we kind of think as a, a modern language, but it's been sunset and unsupported since 2008. So when you talk about legacy, wow, it's not just the COBOL, VB yeah. is legacy. Yeah. Wow. I
0: mean, that's, um, it's amazing. Um, you know, even we talk about it internally at Limelight and, you know, what, you know, what is legacy now? Is it five years? Is it two years? Like, you know, the world is moving very fast. And the technology is evolving very quickly, um, so I'm going to jump into a question, and um, you know that maybe you could. Uh, another fun fact, another fun fact here: over ninety-five on COBOL, over ninety-five percent of ATMs and forty percent of banks are using COBOL. That's from a 2017 Reuters report. So if you can imagine that, ninety-five percent of ATMs. And again, I, I walk up, I'm a consumer, I, I swipe my, you know, put the ATM mm-hmm. in. it's magic. We all I, do, yeah. Yeah, and I'm not thinking, this is a horrible experience, it, it's using COBOL. Like, so it's not that it hasn't been wonderful yes. and created a great customer experience. So I wanna be sure it's not about, it. you know, it laid the foundation for us to build upon and I'm super grateful for um, the legacy languages and just the whole history. So um, it makes me think when I go to an ATM, you know what's powering that transaction, and it's a great experience. So you've got to be proud of Cobalt. Um, you know this. This may be. Um, we'll jump in a little bit later. I guess we'll, we'll jump into this more topic from a carrier perspective, but we will look at a Novarica report they just released on um, you know how our IT budgets being affected mm-hmm. um, in the COVID landscape. So we'll maybe look at some stats there and drive some conversation. But before we really jump into it, Ray, I need to know how did you find yourself working in the group insurance industry? I mean, did you were you like a kid growing up and and your parents said, what do you wanna be when you grow up? And you said, I wanna do you yeah. know cobalt punch cards for the group insurance industry. I mean, how did you get here?
1: Yeah, so that's right. So when I was five years old for my birthday, my parents gave me a group life policy. <laughs> and since then I've, I've been hooked. Nice. Um, no, I, I think my my childhood was more uh, traditional. I mean, I, I grew up wanting to either be a firefighter, a policeman, um, an EMT. And, um, you know, as a matter of fact, um, when I was graduating from college, I graduated with a computer science degree. And while all my friends were getting jobs at tech companies, AT&T and IBM and all the big tech companies of the day, you know, I I was very close to signing up for Air Force Officer Cadet School. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that had to do with my desire to want to help people and do things that you know are are good yeah. and um you know but but what happened was i eventually wound up playing this job that i was talking about up for insurance company in hartford connecticut and um you know i i started the cobalt maintenance and like i said it, it, it's it's startling when you think about the thousands and thousands of lines of code mm-hmm. and, and the maintenance behind it um but that's a story for later uh, um you know a few years of you know doing you know maintenance and getting into you know some more of the programming i i just had the desire to really understand where the rubber hits the road and really understand the insurance business yeah and um after that as they say um the rest is history i mean i just love the business and i've worked for you know a lot of different carriers um in my career and um you know it's uh it's a it's an awesome industry in terms of, you know, the societal good. You know, what are we trying to do in terms of keeping promises in most difficult times, in terms of personal catastrophes, things like that. And it's and it's always resonated with me.
0: Yeah, I love it. Um, I uh, it, you know, I was thinking I'm I'm definitely a passionate one for the group industry. When I I think back and I remember you know why I kind of got. First of all, I was a musician, you know, so I, I needed uh, other sources of income. The natural transition. Yeah, but but I can remember, you know, being, um, being a broker, sitting with employers and, you know, families and spouses coming in and talking about, you know, medications and which medical plan and, you know, dental work and what plan should they get. And it was like this very... Uh, I really deeply connected with being able to help people make good decisions. So like that end user of, of, of insurance, group insurance. Yep. And I saw that whole, you know, uh, process for it to get to them is obviously there's a lot of roadblocks and that, you know, drove a lot of my passion to help people have the right information to make good decisions. And now I kind of fast forward starting back in almost 20 years ago. Um, um, you think about it with consumer driven health even, um, you know, it was this new opportunity to have other options that were innovative back then um, to provide better value to the the customer, these employees and, and the employers. Um, so that's really what drove my passion, um, you know, into the group space. But if, if there was one thing, Ray, that you could, you know, that you could see change or you're most passionate about, like, what would that be? One or two things that you're most passionate about in the group industry?
1: Yeah, I, I think, one of the opportunities that that we have is you take a look at the space where there's probably about 160 million employees in the workplace. And you probably have you know, a number of them unemployed and furloughed um, um, given the current crisis and they're underserved. Uh, you know, we've, we've got complexities in the products and services. We're not delivering them in an innovative way so that, you know, people can, Select intuitively, and you know the complexity of enrollment and the the medical underwriting that we go through in our industry. You know we, we've got to take a cue off of some of the players like Amazon and make the experience just easy. Just go through and figure out what do you need, and just have a selection process that's easy. We have data driven analysis, analytics that could be insights that could be used, um, and I think. With the current environment. I mean, I think we're gonna be forced to change. Everything yeah. is contactless, touchless. Our industry is gonna to have to adopt to the change that's happening today. Yeah. yeah. I order takeout now and I pay from the phone, I order from the phone, I do curbside. There is no interaction anymore. Everything is through my yeah. phone.
2: Yeah.
1: I pay through the phone, I pick it up. And I just saw an ad from Carvana today advertising Complete touchless, contactless car buying. So, you know, you can actually buy a car through the phone. So, that implies that things that we've talked about for years, like smart contracts, because next to buying a car, probably buying a home has the most paper intense. You've got so many contracts to sign. So, what does that tell us in terms of our industry? I think we could make it contactless. We can have smart contracts. We can automate things so i think there's a lot there that can still be done yeah i love
0: it i totally agree um before we segue into some real specific questions and dialogue on uh, legacy systems um within the group space uh, who who, one one of the questions we like to ask our guests would be one person you admire in the group industry that you want to brag on i'm bragging on you because you're awesome and you know getting to know you and seeing um your voice within the group industry and passion, but who's one person, could be from a carrier, someone you've worked with, a tech partner, and an SI partner, consultant, someone at LIMRA or Society of Actuaries. Yeah, yeah. Who do you wanna brag on?
1: I'll tell you, I, I've been impressed and influenced by a lot of people in the industry. There, there are a lot of smart, engaging people that I have a lot of respect for. Um, but I think the area where I'm most impressed with and, and, and I'm hopeful in terms of the change in our industry is around the disruption that's been happening in the, inter- in the in insurtech in, um, in the startups. I, I've been impressed by the way the insurtechs have looked at changing the way we do things and they're not encumbered by business models and operating models and how we do business mm-hmm. and they've been disrupting. I mean, I count limelight um, in, in that class. Where the disruption is happening from the outside, because it's it's looking at it from the perspective of what's possible and, and not yeah. the current model.
0: Yeah, yeah, I love it. Um, well, I think it's a good it's a good segue because we think about you know uh, you know your example of curbside Amazon curbside pickup you know um, touchless quoting, rating, underwriting, if you take it kind of into our world and what that looks like, um, you know, obviously one of the big barriers is the fact that legacy systems exist, right? So I don't know um, uh, what, you know, if we just kind of launch in, it's a barrier. So legacy systems and the complexities of our business are creating this bottleneck from an Amazon type experience, right? So, you know, uh, I don't know if you have any thoughts on how we get there when legacy is the reality. And it's not easy to transition uh,
1: from legacy to modern. Yeah, I, I think one of the things, and and this is probably from years of experience and going through some fairly large transformations and legacy modernizations that you've got to figure out what's the business outcome that you're looking for? Because yeah. I don't think one size fits all.
2: Yeah,
1: um, If you're looking at, portfolio rationalization because you've got hundreds and hundreds of different applications that are doing the same thing or nearly the same thing. And your total cost of ownership is a driver. Then, you know, I think you've got to look at how to reduce that and reduce it in a big way because running, running that many systems, there's a lot of overhead. Yeah. Um, if it's to enter new markets and segments and, and new capabilities, you know, I think you have to think about legacy in a little bit of a different way and, and, and think about how, you know, legacy has existed, as, as, you, as you pointed out, 50, 60 years of coding that's been battle proven. Mm-hmm. It's been tested. UA'd and QA'd. Yeah. And, and how, how do we, especially systems that rarely change. So are we just modernizing it for the sake of modernization? Or are we modernizing it because it's not fit for purpose? It's not delivering what it needs to deliver for the business? Or does it have a gap in capability? Mm -hmm. I think digital is one that we talk about a lot. A lot of these legacy systems that have been built 50, 60 years ago lack robust digital capabilities. I mean, they they don't support mobile. They're green screen enabled and and optimized. And, um, And they just don't fit well on a mobile device. Yeah. <laughs> so those things we definitely have to solve for, particularly in this yeah. age where, you know, people are now going to adopt changed digital more so than they ever before, before yeah. it was, well, I we agree. have to do it. Yeah. Well, people have changed the mindset and they expect to be able to transact yeah. on the mobile device or, you know, through, you know, um, uh, through a tablet. Yeah. And we've got to look at that and say, okay, can we keep what we have in legacy and either integrate or bolt on these capabilities? Right. Because what happens is if you go and throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak, Mm -hmm. you've got 30, 50, 60 years of business logic in there that's been tested that you're going to have to regression test. Yeah. And I would tell you that I think if you do that, it's 20% build, in 80% regression test. I may yeah. be exaggerating them, but yeah. Yeah. that's, you know, that's the difficulty and why, you know, no one's ever jumped into a legacy modernization and say, this is not really going to be big and hairy because they are.
0: Right. Right. I remember a story. Um, so, uh, as I've been, you know, traveling virtually now, but um, meeting with a lot of carriers and, and looking at current workflows with legacy systems. You know, one story was talking about this COBOL programmer that was retired and then, you know, they didn't need um, support, but then something happened and they needed support and went through this whole process to get him back and basically do whatever at whatever rate he wanted, the days he wanted because he was fishing on these days and retired, you know, um, and brought him back in and just understanding the, you know, the struggle uh, and really the risk to not be able to support uh you know, the existing legacy systems and languages. So anyways, through all that, I ended up wanting to write a song um, that really helps encourage the group industry. And there's one verse that I actually want to share with, for, with you, Ray, and, and the world. Um, it's talking about legacy systems, and I think it may may um, um, drive the point home as we talk about, you know, how long these systems have been in. So um, so this is a song that I'm, I'm actually uh, writing for the group insurance industry, so. How can we serve our customers and do them right when we're drowning in a system built in 65 Group Insurance You have the opportunity to influence um so 1965 there you go thanks um i think those were that that actually happened because we were in a meeting and someone said yeah we've had this system since 1965 and i thought wow started like kind of humming this lyric and you know how can we really serve our customers yeah if we're drowning and shackled to a system where the only guy that can service it is fishing for the next three days and won't be in until Friday when he can you know, that's, that's not easy. It doesn't make it easy for us to serve our customers well. And I would even say too, and this is where I've been getting more and more passionate, it's not serving our talent, right? Like we're not giving them a good experience, right? So we're, we're leading with giving a better experience externally to customers, but what about our own talent? What about um, you know those that are working at a group carrier that you know live in Amazon their whole life and curbside as you said and then come to work um, and they're drowning or shackled to a, a workflow that doesn't allow them to really do what they were created to do, which is help people make good decisions and not be buried in you know data entry. So um, I think um, I, I would love to know a favorite wartime story. So Ray, if you can think of you know, a wartime story, getting a legacy system to production in your, your career, um, or, or if it didn't make it to production and how it felt, just any kind of a story, yep. we call it wartime here. Cause it's not easy, you know, implementing.
1: Anything yeah. So I, I have, um, quite, quite a few scars on my back, um, from, from some legacy implementations, but you know, I, I think one from a, a carrier a couple of jobs ago, you know kind of resonates with me and it was a big hairy conversion from one legacy system to a new uh, system and one of the things that I carry forward from that you know uh, there's always learnings and it was and and I've said it often you've probably heard me say it you know the operations a success but the patient died on the table so Mm -hmm. it was a very long project it was 18 plus months and you know it was one of those where we decided we had to do it it was going to be big bang so yeah and and sometimes you could think about maybe chunking some things out maybe think about how we can do it at renewals at runoff is there a way we can wall off some of the business and put the new business on well we decided it was going to be big bang we're going to get everything on there we got it done Big party, big celebration, recognition for the team. But what happened in the ensuing weeks and months was there were so many conversion kickouts. Mm. There were so many errors that from a customer experience perspective, let alone all the rework as we start finding some of this legacy codes that are deep in these subsystems, subsystem functions. And, you know, we're unwinding that. And, you know, we've tested significantly but some of that stuff has just never been touched for yeah. you know probably 20 years yeah and and um and now you know you're converting this business that by the way it's probably been on the books yeah you know for for a number of years um and as these problems start coming up the employee sat the customer sat you know starts you y- y- you take a hit because yeah. You're not, you, you know, you're not working on things that you should be because now you're going back to fix. So from an yeah. employee set perspective, it's it's a downer.
2: Yeah. And
1: from the customer perspective, it's you know why am I getting these errors? I'm getting right. these notices, and I shouldn't. Or so, I I've really you know have to underscore the thinking that has to go into legacy modernization. Yeah. What is the business outcome that you're looking for? Sometimes big bang makes sense. Sometimes you're, there's no other way. I'll give you a really good, for instance, you know, we have, we have subsystems and, and um, operating systems that are no longer supported. So windows, if it's no longer supporting windows that your version, you're running, you gotta, you gotta modernize because you're not getting the security patches. You're not getting the fixes. So you've got to weigh that against, you know, what's the outcome you're looking for. And right. at the end of the day, be prepared because, you know, you're going to have some things that you're going to have to be ready to fix.
0: Yeah. I mean, when you think about, Ray, the decision-making perspective on whether to replace a legacy system with modern or or to keep this legacy system and integrate it into modern, you know, um, how do you think about the decision-making process when really there's, you built it legacy. There's you bought it legacy. Right. And then there's modern, you know, clouds. You've got these three in the ecosystem. Um, what's your decision-making perspective? I mean, you kind of saying at the business outcome, but, um, you know, some carriers are starting, everyone's a little bit different. Some are starting, you know, from on a claims modernization, some are starting in the policy admin billing, some are starting front end, like where they start, I think it's varying by carriers. But any any thoughts on yeah. the decision-making perspective
1: there? Yeah, I think that's right. I think you hit upon it, which is you gotta figure out what's the outcome that you're looking for. Because if you've got some risk with a system that's not stable, it's not running, you're erroring out, then you've got to address that and you gotta quickly. Modernized. If you have a system, a legacy system that has been running thirty years and you haven't changed a, a line of code in there for thirty years, then let's figure out where the gaps are and focus on on yeah. that. And and let's integrate with legacy. Yeah. And and as you kind of move forward, if there's opportunities to, you know, replace some of that as you go. Then you do that, but you don't take the risk of a big bang, which uh, again, you know, you've got code in there that hasn't been touched in 30, 40 years that you've got to make sure you've tested every line of code.
0: Yeah. Well, when another question, you know, kind of piggybacking on that, when you think about from an IT perspective, CIO, CTO, Hey, we, we, we need a new piece of software to do XYZ. Let's say it's something new that, you know, you either have to build it or you're going to buy it like so how what's your perspective on building it internally uh versus buying it within today's environment with yeah. SaaS modern
1: yeah that's a that's a great question and and i think there was a time when you know it was hey build buy or reuse um and that made a lot of sense because you know things that companies and carriers are doing were different and you know, it's, it's hard to find commercially available off the, off the shelf for cots. Um, I think fast forward to today, there's so many commercially available, um, products that it doesn't make a lot of sense to build. It makes a lot of sense to integrate and, and, and buy and integrate. Yeah. Um, so I, I think, I think there's been a shift in in terms of how we, we look at things like that.
0: Yeah. Um, a quick Noverica stat, um, in this May, this report they released in May on Insure IT budgets and, uh, during the pandemic, um, you know, what they said was what their research found that, uh, Insure IT budgets are currently projected to shrink, uh, by less than 10%. Some were saying even under the, under, under the double digits and yep. priorities are shifting to prioritize digital capabilities, operational efficiency, and reduced operational risk. So some of the, the call-outs there from the Novarica report, which is helpful, we'll, we'll include this in the, in the notes. And fewer than 25% of insurers are canceling or delaying strategic um, IT projects in most areas. Um, is that surprising to you, or do you feel like, you know some are seeing it is going to go, is it going to speed up the transformation right, because of just the environment that we're in, or is it going to slow down? right? I don't know if you have any thoughts on those stats.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I, I've seen similar stats. You know, I think it's probably somewhere at 8 to 10%, but I think we're in the ballpark. Yeah. Um, and, and I think it makes a lot of sense as you look at some of the historical crisis that we've been through. Um, you know, I think there's a, a lot of reprioritization and resequencing going on. Yeah. Carriers, obviously, yeah. you know, revenue and premium are down. You got to look at your expenses and you have to figure out how do you balance things out. You just have to do that, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, but they're also looking at it in terms of how do I accelerate some of the things that will get me operational efficiency, that will help me be more competitive in the marketplace? And um, and they're actually investing more in some areas. So if, if you look at the last probably 30, 40 years, maybe, maybe even longer, we've had multiple crises that has resulted in modernization or some sort of modernization effort, right? So yeah. Yeah. I think if you start during the mid 90s, we had Y2K. Yeah. So the crisis was planes are gonna fall out of the sky. We've got to figure out, you know, how do we solve for this Y2K? And we invested a lot in the internet. There was a lot of um, investment in, you know, the dot coms. There, there was, um, I would say our first wave of digital, because the legacy systems had to be yeah. modernized. Where do you build it? You don't build it on the mainframes, it's build it on the web and the internet. So there was a lot of investment there. Um, but again, once Y2K passed, it wasn't sustainable. It was, yeah. okay, you know, and and, uh, and and we kind of went back to a lot of the, the, the legacy uh, investment. And probably 10 years after that, we had the financial crisis of, 2008, 2009. And companies, again, were looking at how do we prioritize things? Yeah. Like where do we need to really spend and accelerate? And I think um, P&C companies were the first to start taking a look at legacy PaaS policy admin system yeah. modernization and, yeah. and investing in really upgrading some of their old legacy systems and and, and really you know deliver more Uh, robust capabilities. And you think about right right now what's happening with COVID and the pandemic. Organizations and carriers are looking at how to prioritize. I think the big difference um, from the past crisis is this one's sustainable because we've had a change in the way people think, the way people work. And I think the adoption of things like digital are going to accelerate. People are not going to just check the checkbox now. They're going to expect it. They're going to expect the type of digital modernization that um, allows them to kind of work and live the way they want to work now. I mean, I think a lot of people talked about, well, you know, once this is over, we'll, you know, get back to business as usual. It's not. It's going to be a new normal. People are going to, I don't think people are going to give up curbside pickup and contactless takeout ordering anytime soon people you know they they they're getting used to that and that's the way they they kind of think now
0: yeah i mean, to that point when you think you know if you parallel it to um on-prem it's kind of been the norm that you know you have a certain way as a carrier has technology it's an on-prem on-premise uh to the cloud you know what's your perspective on cloud versus on-prem we have a lot of discussions internally with carriers but any thoughts on that
1: yeah, you know, I, I think that's changed quite quite a bit also. Um, the thinking used to be cloud versus prem was really around, do I need all these water-cooled mainframes and huge storage um, boxes in my data center and the cost of maintaining that? Yeah. Um, and obviously the real, real estate. Yeah. Um, uh, cost on that is, is significant. You, yeah. you have these very large data centers. Yeah. Um, and, um, and there was a cost, um, uh, component of it, a significant cost component. So the move to cloud was more of a, Hey, I either manage it on-prem or I give it to somebody else. And there was a significant cost savings yeah. today. And you think about, so there was a computer scientist in the seventies named Gordon Moore, he had this theory his theory was computing power was going to double every year and if we look at it now in 2020 that is essentially held true so yeah. the power that you had in the old water-cooled data center mainframes you can fit it on your desktop yeah today yeah. in the 70s you probably would need a full city block to fit all the mainframe right. today it's all one rack mounted so i think the conversation today in terms of cloud versus on-premise whether you want to control it or you want somebody else to yeah and and I think you know some of the concerns early on even around data privacy and around who owns data I want to keep control over data those things have even you know become you know a a non-issue yeah well how you
0: know playing on that when you talk we think about change management right from we we, te- we took care of it on prem to now we've got, we're getting this modern in the cloud. What's your perspective on the change management and and really change management and the changing role of internal IT, you know, when you think of the transition that we're in right now, any thoughts on from a leadership perspective, uh, change management perspective?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, change management is an important part of any transformation. Mm-hmm. So you've got to take a look at, you know, the talent and the people and how's this going to impact them? Because um, there, there, there was this uh, cartoon that uh, that always comes to mind when I think about that. You have a cartoon character on one side and there's this big abyss, and then you have this other thing on the other side and a big why at the top. So you know, when whenever you're making significant transformations and changes in the organization, whether it's modernizing technology, I think you've got to bring the team along. Yeah. They have to understand why are we making the change and understand what are the business outcomes that we're looking for? Yeah. How's this help the business? Is it to help the business grow? Is it to help the business compete? And what are the opportunities for, you know, the talent in terms of, different skill sets and how are we going to train yeah. different skill sets? So yeah. I, I think that picture always comes to mind is yeah. when, you're, when you're dealing with talent and change, you really have to address you know the why, because otherwise they're not, they're not going to yeah. make the jump. It's yeah. scary. You know, you're going to yeah. fall into the bliss.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think from many just stories, uh, when I think about coming to the table with business and outcomes, the business team outcomes in IT really to support those outcomes, mm-hmm and the need and you know for the teamwork and you know it's a whole it's a lot of change around the block and we come in as limelight and we get to be a part of you know really in many cases bringing business and it together because it's not just you know we're going to do we're going to take what you do today and put it in the cloud it's so much more than that which is really where a lot of the complexities come in is a lot needs to go away because legacy systems have created a workflow that was, you know, it's, it doesn't exist anymore in the new world. So right. really having to understand how do our workflows change, you know, the other softwares that we have, um, the integrations that we need, um, you know, there's a lot. And I feel like there's a definite need for um, uh, uh, good leadership, respect, grace, transparency, um, to lead both business and IT through this transformation together, because there really has to be a team effort. I've seen some where it's yeah. you know led by IT or led by business, and if there's not health in the organization, it just is not set up, you know, for transformation that is going to be lasting and really see it see it through. So, we love to be a part of that process um, and to be a guide or um, to serve in that capacity as a part of that you know transformation dialogue. So,
1: yeah, I I think. You know, one of the points, and, and you're spot on. Um, I, I just wanted to uh, kind of hit upon. You know, it, it can't be just IT. Yep. It has to be That's business right. IT. You That's have to right. you have to be one team working on the transformation. Otherwise, to your point, it becomes just an IT thing, and and you really have to look at it as you know one team. Yeah.
0: Well, so uh, w- this is a question that we have at the end of our podcast, which is Imagine a World. It's the Imagine a World question. So in in light of the topic of legacy systems and, you know, how would you, what's the world you imagine uh, the group ecosystem in, you know, 5, 10 years, 18 months, right? I mean, wh- what's the world you see? And, you know, is Le- legacy going to be around? Is COBOL going to be around for another 20 years? I mean, or is it going to be gone in five, you know? what's the world you see
1: yeah so i think uh cobalt and legacy was prematurely declared dead on arrival um many years ago and i think uh, that's been refuted so legacy is here to stay yeah i i don't i don't think um you know we're gonna have a magic wand and migrate everything off of uh legacy um i do think that we're going to introduce and integrate with a lot of new technologies
2: yeah. and,
1: and, and capabilities. Um, I think what we're gonna, and, and this is paraphrasing uh, a quote from from Bill, Bill Gates. Um, he once said something like, you know, the the change we're gonna do in the next, or the change that's coming in the next 10 years is gonna be at a faster and, 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 and more bigger rate than 50 years ago. So um, I changed that to say what's going to happen in the next 18 months or 24 months is going to be bigger than what's happened in the last 50 years. Because one of the crisis that that we've been through, and second, things like Moore's law, when I talked about computing capacity, infrastructure and hardware is no longer the limitation. We can crunch very difficult algorithms, actuarial numbers Mm -hmm. that, You know, we we can crunch at the speed of light that used to take, you know, you'd have to clock. it would be clocking as you're, Mm -hmm. you know, that's not an issue. We've got quantum computing, things like that. That's just, it's not going to be hardware. The limitation is our imagination and how far we can take what's possible. And I think, you know, things that we talked about in terms of how do we leverage artificial intelligence in the group benefit space, how do we automate more and how do we get out of enrollment paper, you know, paperless enrollment and paperless underwriting and, and get to things where, you know, we've talked about um, in terms of straight through processing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, have always the way I've, I've, you know, I, we have to play nice with legacy. We have to play nice with Excel. I mean, it's, you know um, we've talked about that internally with our product team. Because that's the real world. I mean, that mm-hmm. is the real world, uh, and we got to play nice with the existing workflows. And it's, it takes time to transition, and you got to have strategy on where you right. start and what it integrates to. But if I think about a world the world that I imagine, I'm I love you know crazy wild um, you know futuristic um, uh, landscape within the group industry. So you know when I look at when I talk you know Fortran you know and they said five hundred times faster think wow you know here we are in the next few years right what's machine learning AI voice yep. technology so my son's doing some work with a with a startup in the voice area and I'm fascinated with voice and you know imagining a world where voice skills where an underwriter could say hey um, underwriter assistant you know what what are the cases that are the most complex I need to work on and and what's the benefit we don't match in current and, and being able to we manually do that today, but to just have a conversation with that type of technology to grab the data and give it to you in real time, so you can make a good decision as an underwriter. I mean, that's that's a world. And in order to do that, right, you may have to access a data warehouse, get data in another system. So there's integrations have to be flowing. Um, we need to have a foundation, right, um, that can integrate with legacy, but also can integrate with other modern, um, you know, cloud-based um, support uh, workflow applications really for whatever workflow it is. We're living really in the underwriting or actuary or sales distribution where we live personally with Limelight. Um, so I'm excited, um, for what I see in the future. And, uh, you know, we believe that this leg, this idea of legacy is really critical and important to understand. Like when we go in and we look at current workflows, current work, um, it's it's not to recreate it, it's to have empathy. Like I, I want to understand current workflows and the, the, the current legacy systems, not to reinvent it, but I have to understand what so and so's been doing for twenty years so that I can we can best serve, you know, this customer, and that's a big part of our approach is to is empathy to understand the existing workflows with legacy and maybe to encourage and say, We don't think you should change that. I mean, right? Like there's other areas and maybe don't change that. Right. Um, cause as you know, like there's a lot of risk associated with that. Um, you, you want to let
1: that map yeah. to the business outcome. Um, I think, No, I think, I think one, I'm, I'm sorry, go for it. I was just going to say, you know, one of the linchpins to everything we've been talking about and, and looking at legacy modernization versus integration. And how, how do you, how do you, you know, move forward with some of this stuff? A big part of this is, you know, having API integrations. Yeah making sure that we've got to lay the foundation yeah. and a lot of that foundation has started. I mean, I think there's a lot of talk in the industry about APIs and, and creating uh, standards around there. And um, we have to just do more of that to make it totally interoperable because the ecosystem is complex in a group ecosystem. Yeah. Yeah. There's TPAs, there's payroll companies, there's employers, there's carriers, there's, you know, so yeah. we just got to figure out how to, make it all hang together and API is it.
0: I love it. Um, Well, as we, as we bring in this podcast for landing, I want to thank you Ray for taking the time to talk about legacy systems. I mean, we were at ITC this last year, we had a boxing ring set up. We had six punching (laughs) bags and one of them was legacy systems. And it's not that that's the enemy because if it wasn't for legacy systems, it's the, it's the foundation in which we keep paving new ways and new standards. So we're grateful for legacy systems, but um, but it is a challenge, right? And so we had this win the fight with Limelight. Um, and this was kind of the first of our, a six part series podcast uh, in which we are, you know, talking about legacy systems and the challenge that they are. So you've been a great, um, a great voice to, to have this discussion. And I'm really grateful. How can people find you? What are you, what are you working on? Um, it'd be great for people to get in touch with you.
1: Yeah. So thanks again, Garrett, for having me on. Um, I enjoyed the uh, perspectives and just kind of talking through some of the challenges that we have in our industry. So I can be found here in uh, Flemington, New Jersey, in my home.
0: Nice. Nice. um, Exactly.
1: Or on innovationunderwriters.org. So I'm working on a couple of fun projects. I have actually one that's about to to launch with Innovation Underwriters. And it really... uh, talks about how do we collaborate in the insurance ecosystem between the vendors and the startups and the employers and the carriers. And how do we generate in what I call a safe environment for test and learn mm. and, and, and where ideas can be generated big or small.
2: Yeah.
1: And um, so part of what we've been doing is standing up processes and tools um to support this and we're ready for our first campaign and the first one is near and dear to my heart it's focused around workplace benefits and how do we solve for what ideas can we generate to make it more accessible and affordable and um you know if you're interested in more information on it go to innovationonthewriters.org, and we're, we're um we're in in the midst of just launching it Um, it's going to go through a process of collecting ideas and campaigns for different ideas like the workplace benefit solutions and then there will be a process to vet them and those that are selected will go through the creation labs which will come with some funding uh, as well as a workspace for uh for uh, you know for the for the winners to take these ideas kind of to the next level and um you know, I'm looking forward to, you know, some startups coming out of this.
0: Yeah, that's exciting. I know, Charlie, and um, it's uh, exciting what's happening. And um, we're excited to um, keep in touch and be a part of what's going on. So we'll include the links as well um, with the podcast. Um, awesome. So, well, thank you so much, Ray. I uh, I really appreciate you making the time. And, and uh, let's do this again sometime.
1: Awesome. Thanks, Gary. Right, Ray. Thank you.